Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you very much indeed. It is so good to be here on um, this birthday for you. You don't feel it as much because, um, you know, one year ago today, you sent out three other services. And having just been to one um, an hour ago, it is going really well. So um, well done and keep on going. This um, this multiplying of services means that you're making a bigger impact on this city, and that is a great thing. So um, the first thing I want to say, I am a part of the Church of England, and um, uh, as the Church of England, we recognize that we are part of, as part of the um, liturgies that we say, we are part of the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. That's part of the global church. And, and what that means is that we recognize that we're not the only people who are around. We are part of a bigger church, and you are part of that church as well. And so it's a great privilege for me today to be here partnering with you. Honestly, sir, um, um, David's heard me say this a number of times before, but I love Christchurch London. I love what you're doing. Um, I'm inspired by what you're doing. I'm particularly inspired by this multiplication of services and that desire to keep on doing that. And I just want to say, keep going. It's a fantastic thing. We are learning from you, and we want to um, bless what you're doing, and we're so thrilled about what you're doing. And really what I want to say today, um, as we kind of dive into Acts chapter 19, is to say, is to frame this in the scriptures and, and say, actually, what you're doing is not a new thing. It's something that um, St. Paul, the apostle, um, did right at the beginning of the, of the uh, growth of the church, um, starting new churches, starting new services to influence um, whole regions. And the question I want to pitch today is how can London be changed? How can cities be transformed? Let's read together Acts chapter 19. If you've got a, a Bible or a um, Bible on an app, do um, turn to Acts chapter 19. This is the story of Paul um, starting the church in Ephesus. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. 
They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. uh, Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, um, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Let's pray as we look at this passage together. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you speak to us in different ways, but you speak to our minds, our hearts, our lives, our experiences. And we pray that you would speak to us today through this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So my experience in in the church is over the last um, 25 years or so, I've been um, uh, like a vicar in the church. Um, I uh, spent some time at Holy Trinity Brompton in West London. And from there in 2005, we started, we planted a new church in um, St. Paul's Shadwell, where your um, Alpha Course um, is going to be partnering with um, in the East End. It was a church that had just 12 people left in it, and they were going to close the building. And the Bishop of London just said, let's just give it one last um, breath. And um, we came with a team from Holy Trinity Brompton and restarted that church. From there, the church grew, and we had the chance to do the same thing again in three other churches, and actually four other churches in the East End. And so over a period of um, 10 years, we saw the church grow from just a, a few. In 2004, it was something like 50 people going to those four, five churches. And um, by uh, 2014, 2015, there were um, 760 regular um, committed members of those churches. So church planting and starting new services in new places works in terms of new people coming to faith. And um, people who used to uh, go to church who've lost their way, coming back to faith. That was our experience again and again and again. So church planting, starting new services works in terms of spreading the good news of Jesus. Um, One of the things that um, I've been appointed to do, as David was saying, was starting new churches in London. We've got a goal to start 100 churches all over London. um, And... The, the key to that is recognizing that you can do churches in lots of different ways. We need to have church, big churches, small churches, micro churches, middle-sized churches. We need to have network churches. We need to have language churches, um, specific language churches. So last um, term, we just started new um, services in Gujarati, in, um, in Tagalog, the Filipinos. Um, in, uh, we're just about to plan a, a Turkish church up in Tottenham, just recognizing that London is such a diverse group of um, people, international people, just reaching and communicating with those people. The French church, there are half a million French people in London, and there are only three congregations who are ministering to those French speakers. So perhaps one of your services 
um, uh, Christchurch could be a French-speaking church to join with us. We're, we've just started one. We're going to start another one in a few months' time. But you know, half a million French people, they need many, many. They need hundreds of different services um, to connect with those people. So how can cities be transformed? Ephesus was a city that was transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Ephesus is um, a place in western Turkey. It's a map. Um, it's there in the middle. And you see it's in a, a region called Asia. Asia in, in that time um, in the world wasn't the Far East that we might call Asia. It's actually the western side of Turkey. Ephesus was the main city. It was a capital city. It was like the London um, in the UK. That's the kind of um, impact it had in that region. And um, Ephesus was dominated by the Temple of Artemis. This is a picture of um, a kind of a, 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 what they think it might have looked like. It dominated the whole city. It's a bit like the city of London, the tower um, blocks of offices, the, the gherkin, the, the shard in London. People think, gosh, this is the finance center, and you can't help but see those buildings. Or if you're a tourist, you go to Buckingham Palace, that massive building, and you just think, actually, this is part of the tourist story. For Ephesus, this was part of the city. It dominated city life. There was a whole religious cult orientated around worshipping um, Artemis. And the, the gospel, when it impacted the good news of Jesus, when it impacted um, Ephesus, the whole of um, the way the city functioned was shaken um, as people started turning towards Jesus. And it affected the city so much that the business people who are associated with selling little trinkets to do with this temple, um, you know, maybe a kind of a little model that you can take as a tourist and you take it away with you to um, one of the other cities, um, these business people started a riot um, in, uh, in the city. You just read about it in the next passage in um, Acts chapter 19. Because of the impact of the Christian faith, it was undermining the religious um, status quo as people were turning away from um, idolatry and turning towards Jesus Christ. When we think about cities, cities are amazing places. Cities where people are drawn to. Cities are places where culture is formed. It's where wealth is created, where people are employed. People are drawn to the excitement of a city. Um, there are many fantastic and amazing things about cities. And, uh, you know, I love London. I've, I love living here. But there are also many destructive things about cities. Cities are places where um, extreme poverty can take place. So in Shadwell, um, where um, I led a church for those years, on one side of the highway, which is the main road that goes through Shadwell, there were very, very wealthy people living along the riverside, um, one of the wealthiest places in the country. On the other side of that road is the number one child poverty in the country. So um, often behind closed doors, you don't notice it, but actually when you um, look at the statistics, again and again, it comes top of the range. The very rich against the very poor. And it seems that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So it's fantastic, this emphasis you have today on, on compassion, actually um, making a difference by giving to enable other people to thrive. Part of the reason cities um, display this kind of destructiveness is because of our, the breakdown of relationships. With um, God creating a beautiful world, with beautiful relationships that we can have with God, with ourselves, uh, being at peace with ourselves, having relationships with um, one another, and relationships um, with and over creation. 
the fall just that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, where um, those relationships get fractured, where um, what we see, and we see it kind of all around us, don't we? The, um, the broken relationship with God, where um, people um, either um, deny God's existence or deny his authority in their lives. We have um, destructive behavior in, in our own lives. Um, where there's um, low self-esteem or even God complexes where we think, you know, I'm better than anyone else. We see um, breakdowns in relationships with others as so much exploitation and abuse. We see just um, destructiveness towards the creation where we just um, prefer materialism um, uh, or just, you know, exploiting um, the way money's used and so on. We're broken in all these relationships. And the only way that those relationships can be restored is through Jesus Christ. Jesus, you know, it took Jesus to come into our world, to be incarnate with us, to take flesh, God himself, to um, having that help from outside to change the way things um, are. And those, the way to see cities transformed, the way to see those relationships restored, that relationship with God, relationship with self, with others and with creation, is through Jesus Christ. And Paul knew this. And I want to just look at three ways that cities can be transformed that we see here. The first one is by making disciples. We see here that um, Paul, right at the beginning of this chapter, um, meets with uh, 12 men. They're in a place of prayer. And he starts talking to them about um, their religious background. And he discovers that they don't know Jesus. And he introduces Jesus to them. And they come to faith. They say, I want to follow Jesus. And they're baptized and they're prayed for and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the beginning of this church in Ephesus, the the church that had a huge impact, not just on Ephesus, but on a whole region, started with a small group. It started with a small group of people who said, we want to follow Jesus. Paul was taking up Jesus' last command that we read in Matthew, where Jesus says, go into the world, go somewhere else from where you are, go and make disciples of all nations. We see here that this small group of people, Paul was doing it, and then he was encouraging them to encourage each other to follow Jesus, to make disciples of one another. And what was was the kind of curriculum? Well, we read here that um, Paul... In uh, chapter, uh, verse 8, sorry, entered the synagogue, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the curriculum. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in every part of life. So you think about your Sunday. You're here today and you're basically saying, I want to um, follow Jesus. I'm, 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 Feel, you, some of you might feel far away from him and you're on that journey towards him. There are others who have met him and know him and want to follow him, make him Lord of your life. But either way, you're coming into, you're stepping into saying, God, I want you to be in charge. I want you to, I recognize that you are the king. And so I'm going to come under the king. I'm going to respond to the king. I'm going to allow the king to direct my life, King Jesus. But also, it's not just here on a Sunday. It's actually what happens at 11 o'clock on a Monday. Wherever you are, whether it's in a bank or in a school or in um, uh, the community, in your home, in um, 
uh, in politics or um, social services, in hospitals, whatever it is, wherever it is, what does the rule and reign of God look like in that place? When Paul was encouraging the disciples, those first disciples, to say actually the kingdom of God's the agenda, he's asking that question, what does God look like? What does the kingdom of God look like Monday, 11 a.m.? So I've got a friend who's a banker. He works in the European Bank. And he was in a meeting where they were discussing and negotiating with some Ukrainians to do with a, a project they were financing. And it got to quite a tense moment. And they were just really struggling to work out um, how to kind of get through the negotiation. And Henrik got out of his seat and went to the corner of the room where there was a, a coffee stand. And it was just completely natural to go and help yourself to this coffee through the meeting. And as he's pouring his coffee, he's got his back to the rest of the meeting. He starts praying. Um, not out loud, because that would be odd in that meeting. But um, he just starts saying, Lord, would you please break into this situation? We are stuck and we need a breakthrough. I pray that you'd use me. Give me wisdom. But we pray, Lord, that you would do something. Let your kingdom come in this place. He finished pouring his coffee. He turns back and goes and sits down at that boardroom table. And he described that situation as being just completely different. The atmosphere had changed. It had changed from the moment he got up and started praying to the moment he got back again. And he said that um, a breakthrough happened in their negotiations and they were able to just move forwards and um, seal a, a fantastic deal. And he says it was like the kingdom of God coming into that boardroom. Something changed. And he said that we were more effective as a bank because of what happened, because of that negotiation. So the kingdom of God can look like deals being made to, to make things better in a bank. We want kingdom banks. They might not be talking about Jesus all the time, but they're doing what banks do well, which is lend money, um, invest money. And when banks work well in a city, it enables the city to thrive. That's the same with every one of us is called to some place in this city. And that calling means actually, Lord, what can I do in this place to see your kingdom come? Is it about um, speaking a word of encouragement? Is it about um, sharing my faith? Is it about um, seeing something done really, really well as, uh, to honor God? When I was in Unilever, I used to lay my hands 8.30 every morning um, on the desk. Um, people might have thought it was strange, but I, I used to say, you know, it's a bit like drawing breath and preparing for the day. But I was praying. As, as I laid my hands on the desk, I, I would pray um, in my head. I'd just say, Lord, be in charge of today. Be in charge of every conversation that I have, every decision I have to make, every um, challenge I have to make. And may I be the best marketeer that I can be. Can I be a godly marketeer today? You might not think that's possible to be a godly marketeer, but it is if you submit it to God. So what was the result of this disciple making? Well, the church began to start growing. And we see that it was definitely effective because, verse 10 we see this went on for two years. This is like a um, daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's like an alpha course that's going on every day. So there's something about daily discipleship. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the Jews and Greeks in that whole area of um, Ephesus heard the word of the Lord. Not just Ephesus, but that whole region. So clearly something had worked well in terms of that disciple-making had been effective in reaching a whole region. Second thing we see here is that um, Paul was effective in making mature 
Christians, mature disciples. In verse 21, just after that passage we read, after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. So he's been there three years. He set up the church, and he now knows that it's okay to go away from that church, to go to a completely different city and get on with his other work, knowing that there are people left in that city, good leaders, strong discipleship groups and connect groups, a really good alpha course, some good compassion ministry. Um, it's settling well, it's doing well, and it's growing because of the disciple-making that was going on. So for you and me, as part of this church, what does it mean to make disciples? How can I make disciples? You're sitting next to people. Making disciples is actually beginning to start taking responsibility, not just for my own spiritual life, but actually for the person sitting next to me. I want to encourage you, if you're not in one, to join one of these connect groups. Connect groups are the best way to grow as disciples. It's doing it in community with others, where you're beginning to not just allow other people to speak into your life, and to say, what does the kingdom of God mean in your life? What is God doing for you? But also so that you can start saying that to others. And as soon as we start recognizing that we need to take responsibility for one another, that's when discipleship starts growing, and that's when it starts making a difference. We see um, this impacting people's lives. That's the first thing, making disciples. That's how cities are transformed. Second thing we see here is that um, this church started taking their faith into the public square. They didn't just meet on Sundays. They allowed their faith to spill out into everyday life. You know, we see this um, in Paul's ministry, those first words that we see after this passage um, where um, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul um, so that the sick are cured and illnesses are, and evil spirits are um, cast out of people. What this is going on, there's healing on the streets. People are starting to pray for others in, um, outside the church. Now, for us, we, we might think, okay, the way we do praying inside church might not work um, on the outside, but actually it's amazing. When you start doing it, it's extraordinary. So in Shadwell, again, we used to set up a tent, uh, like a marquee thing um, uh, in, uh, what are the square things? Anyway, it's a, sm it's a kind of awning type thing just in the market in in shadow market and we just offered prayer we just put a sign up saying anyone would like prayer to come uh, along and it was extraordinary how um there were tens and tens and tens of people over the course of a couple of hours who would just come we gave them a cup of tea as well and they said you know we say what would you like to be um to prayer for and they would say something you know about you know lots of different things about physical things or emotional things um psychological things and we pray for them very gently and carefully and people never went away saying, I had a bad experience. It was offered. It wasn't forced on anyone. They could choose to do it. But when that starts happening, the credibility of the church begins to start growing. It's beginning to take our faith out in a sensitive way. We also see the impact of um, you know, the power of God at work. So this extraordinary story of these um, exorcists who are going around, they're Jewish exorcists, who are saying, well, let's try using the name of Jesus because that seems to work, and they do it. And the problem is they, they're not um, doing it um, on behalf of Jesus. So they're not filled with God's Holy Spirit, and they face rather extraordinary circumstances where they end up being beaten up by this, pow you know, this um, spiritual power that they can't handle running naked and bleeding. It's like a film, isn't it? Just think, you know, this is extraordinary. But look at the impact that that event had um, as this kind of thing is going on outside the church. 
When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. And you get this extraordinary thing where those who'd been dabbling in magic bring their scrolls and burn them. The cost of that 50,000 drachmas, that's about five million pounds today. There's people bringing stuff from their homes and burning them in public. It's like an open confession to say, actually, we are, are turning away from these things and turning towards Jesus. And what's the net result? The net result, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The church begins to start growing when we take our faith um, uh, and live it out, outwardly in, in the world around us. How we do that, we need to be sensitive. How we do that, we need to be um, thinking about, uh, you know, not pushing it on people, but just living it out in a more public way. But again, as we start, you know, perhaps in connect groups or speaking to one another, we can ask that question, how can we do that? How can you do that? What does it look like in practice? And as we start asking that question, um, things begin to um, start happening. Um, one of the church plants that I've been involved in is a church down in Bournemouth, where we sent a group of 10 people to restart a um, a church called St. Swithin's in the center of Bournemouth. And one of the things they were asking as they started to um, uh, uh, start growing and start to share their faith, they started asking that question, who is our neighbor? How can we love the people around us? Who, who, who should we be focusing on? And there were addicts who used, who shot up um, it, it, with drugs in, their, in the grounds of the church. And so they just thought God was drawing them to help those people. And they, um, they did this recovery course for um, addicts. And something like 500 people have been through that course in the last year and a half. And here's the interesting thing, that the, the town acknowledges that this church is helping addicts. The council have acknowledged publicly that this is a great thing that the church is doing. And the name of Jesus in Bournemouth is being honored because of what this church is starting to do on the outside. They don't really know what's going on on the inside of the church, but they can see what's going on on the outside of the church because they're taking addicts off the streets and helping them. That's what happens when churches start taking their faith out into the public square. What does that look like for you? When that happens, the city begins to be transformed. And people come to faith, and it makes an impact. It shakes the city. The last thing I just want to draw our attention to is that verse I've already read out, which is um, that um, all Asia, both Jews and Greeks, have heard the word of the Lord. It's a little intriguing verse that I didn't notice for many years. And then I began to think about it. What does that mean in practice? Paul, there's a little verse in Acts 20 where it just it seems to suggest that Paul never left Ephesus over a three-year period, and yet all of Asia has heard the good news. How did that happen? It happened through church planting. It happened through um, these disciples being raised up and some of them saying, I'm going to go back to my home city. I'm going to go back to my home area of London, and I'm going to say, I I'd like to start a new service here. I'd like to go and start a church in a new city. I'd like to go to New York, or I'd like to go to um, you know, Beijing, or wherever it is. I'm going to start a new church there. That's what happened here. And listen, look at what happened. So Antioch is the first one. That's where Paul started. And his first mission journey, he planted about four or five churches in this area called Galatia. Those are the churches he started. And he kind of um, did it in a particular way, but um, 
he has to keep on visiting those churches again and again and again. So by the third um, journey, he goes to Ephesus, which is the center of Asia. Asia is kind of that bottom left-hand corner. Um, but over a two or three-year period, he plants all of these churches. And look at the impact that's made. Paul hasn't left the city, but he's raised up church planters and leaders to go and send them to other places to start churches in all these places. A lot of them, seven of them are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where John writes to those um, uh, churches. But the impact of those churches, those cities, would then, they'd plant to the city and then they'd plant from there to a town and from there to a village. And so that's how the whole of Asia would have heard the word of the Lord. So what you are doing in terms of multiplying services is absolutely embedded in New Testament practice of how the, how the gospel spread around the known world. What you are doing is joining in with a work of God where this is generally regarded as the most effective way of spreading um, the good news of Jesus and of church growth on the planet, church planting and starting new services. It's the most effective way of growing the church. We see that happening here, and this is what was going on with this church in Ephesus. And so when it comes to um, thinking about how can my faith, me as an individual, how can I make a difference in this city? I think we just need to come back to this passage and say, I can help make, I can take responsibility for us by making disciples. I can start to think, actually, what does my faith look like in the public square? And if the band could come up as I was coming into land. If, if, you know, how can my faith work itself out in practice? And thirdly, I want to encourage you, David was saying, stay in London. I want to encourage you not to stay in this church service forever. I want you to stay for as long as God calls you to stay. But go and start a new service when they start these new services, like the Sutton one, like the one, I think, you know, there are so many places in London that needs Christchurch London to start starting new services in order to reach people who are not being connected with at the moment. You can connect with people that in the Church of England we can't connect with. You can do it. We need you. We, the Church of England, need you, Christchurch London, to play your part in the re-evangelization of this city. Why? Because this city is going to be transformed for good. Do you remember what it talks about, those destructive relationships? We need you to help um, play your part under Jesus, of seeing Jesus restore people's relationship with God. We need Christchurch to play its part in seeing um, individuals' lives transformed. That's why that recovery course for men is so helpful. The marriage preparation course in our relationships with others. Let's get that right, right at the beginning of marriages. In your relationship with your workplace and your community, as you start looking at creation, not just the you know, um, sustainability and the environment, but actually the whole of creation, the, 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 the work of the city, how the city functions. You have a part to play. Let's stand, and I'd like to pray, and then we're going to sing. So the last thing we see is that this is a church that was empowered. It began with people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul laid his hands on that, that small group, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in order to be effective disciples and city transformers. So let's pray for the Spirit to fill us. Father, thank you for 
this amazing passage in the Bible, this story of the church, the birth of the church of Ephesus and the way it, um, it, it began to touch that whole city and the whole region. We thank you for this church. Thank you for Christ Church. Thank you for every person in this central service. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us. Lord God, Holy Spirit, come and fill each one of us. And we pray that as you fill us, you would empower us to be disciples, to be disciples that make a difference, disciples that take our faith to the public square and begin to see you transforming other people's lives. We pray for that empowering, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.